My name is Aoife Josie Baker. And I'm Louise Ward, and it is my birthday that we are recording on today. Happy birthday, Louise. And as a birthday gift to myself, I made you watch one of my favorite underground horror flicks, which was something that I'm curious to know your relationship was towards before watching it. Yeah, so uh, this week on our show, where every week Louise shows me two fucked up movies and I uh, process them however I decide to, um, we watched August Underground's Mortem, uh, a movie that I had heard much about. Um, I had seen the clip of the castration, not only in Louise's uh, Fantastic Fest show, but also just floating around the internet. I had heard that it was sort of some very upper level shit. I had also heard critiques of it, that it was sort of an example of stuff that's just kind of purely gore porn that you don't really need to worry about that kind of doesn't have anything to it. Well, and it, um, it was kind of exciting because I sent Aoife a list of all these options because like I've, I've kind of mapped out the movies I want to get to on this like wing of the podcast. And... Um, when I sent the list, obviously Aoife was like, well, it's gotta be Mortem. Mortem, right? yeah. Like, it's gotta be That's Mortem. That's the name I've heard of on this list, so. <laughs> yes, exactly. And the the thing is about August Underground's Mortem is it, it, it really is one of the movies with the roughest reputa- reputations out there. Um, I, I can't think of many other films that are as prominently dropped in that list of, like, most fucked up movies ever made. Mortem is is one of the ones, like one of the top five most disturbing movies ever made um, that you'd find on like a BuzzFeed list or something. Um, so of course we had to, you know, kick it off with Mortem. And I think that this, I would say, is the most fucked up movie we've watched on the podcast so far. Yeah. By far. Yeah, it's the first film I think that we've watched for the pod that has genuinely scared me, that has genuinely like tense watching it. You know, with a lot of the other stuff that we've watched, it's been, like, very intellectually removed, very aesthetic, very, hmm, I'm very, uh, this is, it's extremely interesting what they're saying with this piece. Whereas with this, it was a very visceral experience um, sitting in this for 80 minutes. Yeah, I mean, like, is it is it too rough for me to say I was turned on again watching this movie i mean i i, I wouldn't expect any less from you uh, at this point i, I don't um, know what estrogen's done to me because i used to watch these for the sick pleasure of being like oh that's fucked up and now we put yeah. these movies on i'm seeing like the opening when like christy wiles is like cutting her stomach and yeah. i'm just like i'm this is hot <laughs> i love this um But yeah, I'm really excited to dig into Mortem because I think it is something that kind of pulls together the strands of all the different types of movies we've talked about on the podcast so far because it is one of the heavy hitters. Yeah. And I'm excited to sort of dig into it with you. And like um, the first thing I would say in terms of like relating it back to these other episodes, themes that we can explore in this conversation involve these ideas of like trying to 
reject society and yeah. um, ideas of subculture, ideas of like sadomasochistic subjugation and um, ideas um, around this sort of like equation of eroticism and underground art. So I think we can kind of just dive into it. I know you have a lot of notes prepared, so I'm excited <laughs> to, to hear what was jumping out at you about Mordom. Yeah, the, the first thing that I have down was that just I was impressed by for something that's clearly so DIY and that's so um, uh, you know like improvisatory in places like uh, just how like kind of designed it is like everything is so filthy like from the gunk on people to that early shot where they place the camera in the food and it's just disgusting like to um, all the props and the weapons, like the way that there is just this overlying just rot on everything in the entire world. Um, I was really, really impressed with that. And it really drove home in the early stages that feeling of unpredictability and that feeling of like visceral grip yeah and, and i think had. one of the things that people underestimate about mortem is because it's like built and designed as this fake snuff film um people forget that like fred vogel and uh justin cruz like the, these guys like went to fucking film school together yeah you know like they mm. are, are are sorry jeremy cruz like like the two of mm. them um are like they, they ran Totega effects for years yeah. i mean like fuck like by the time they were working on doing effects for like tom savini's segment and mm. like uh theater bazaar and stuff like they've been mm. around like they did movies like murder set pieces like stuff that was yeah. kind of like was was a little bit above the underground scene and and like they're fucking incredibly talented yeah and the talent shines through because every it's hard to make a mockumentary that's one of the hardest types of movies to make yeah and this feels real. Yeah. It's, it feels like an authentic snuff film. I mean, like, it just opens, and you're put right into the action, and you're kind of just seeing these incredibly chaotic, crazy people interacting with each other, and then living their lives while also being serial killers. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, there is a degree of, like, high drama to the way that they act it. Like where it almost reminded me of like the dialogue in Rob Zombie movies where they're just pushing so hard to make every single thing they say like the most profane version of itself. Absolutely. And like, like, and they're screaming and yelling, like they're hysterical the whole yeah. way through the movie. Um, one of the things I like the most about it is the fact that they're all beating the shit out of each other and like self-harming throughout the film as well. Like yeah. one of my favorite things is um, uh, Christy's character, uh, Krusty. Um, one of the things that's like so great about her is she's like also a masochist, right? Yeah. So like she's cutting herself throughout to the point where like she has like no feeling to like yeah. when she's doing oh. it and she like talks about it when she's like trying to cut her arms. She's that like, oh, it's like my arm is like one big callus now. I can barely cut it. And I think that kind of relates back to our discussion of like, um, of like Sadian work, right? Yeah. Because it's like this idea of like these three killers also participating to such an extent where they're like, demeaning themselves and like yeah. attacking themselves like at the end like you're kind of the the close of the movie is uh, uh fred vogel's character peter like diving on michael todd schneider's character <laughs> maggot like ready to kill him right yeah. and you're like like they're participants in every extent like there's they, to some extent they are enjoying their own suffering throughout as well right yeah it does get really kind of episodic 
where it, it does feel you talk a lot about gore porn as sort of the generalist category for these movies um, and it feels extremely porn-esque as far as the torture scenes in the way where like you know they have the set and the performers and from there it's just kind of improvising they're all building towards the one kind of gore effect or set piece per scene and especially in the scene with the lesbian couple with the vomiting like it, remarkable it's, it's just so so like much like this freeform performance from all sides uh, at, at times and so chaotic like yeah no like, I, I love that scene especially because like one like christy is like a spiritually a sister i also yeah. can like puke yeah. on demand i have such a terrible like gag <laughs> reflex like um but it, what's so fantastic about these scenes is the thing about mortem that's most interesting is it's not the gore that's the most disturbing part it's the dehumanization towards the victims yeah and that's and that's the thing is it's the build-up to the murders like there's yeah. actually very few on-screen deaths in mortem yeah it's all about the depravity that these yeah. three are relishing in and yeah. that's why why the movie's so fun and and <laughs> by well i mean like 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 i mean you're you hmm. watching it you're the observer it's yeah. like a fake snuff film in the same way that like guinea pig 2 is yeah the movie's inviting you in to enjoy it and I think that the thing that's like most genius about um, Mortem versus the original August Underground, which I, I also love the original August Underground, but like bringing in Christie's character is fucking genius because like the way that she brings eroticism into mm -hmm. the film and how much she is like sexually relishing in what she's doing yeah. is like, to me, such an amazing gateway into like, being able to enjoy the depravity of what mm. you're watching. I mean, maybe that's just me talking as a woman, <laughs> seeing another woman yeah. um, on screen doing it. It, it, it. That's an entryway for me, especially in a yeah. genre that is so traditionally yeah. um, men torturing women. Like, that's yeah. like a, a big thing that people accuse horror films of just being like, oh, I don't want to watch movies where it's a woman being tortured. Misogynist revenge yeah. fantasy. Exactly. Yeah. So having Christy be kind of the most depraved by yeah. far. Yeah. Um, is phenomenal. I think that that's yeah. a genius artistic choice. No, and it is just a, like such an impressive performance with how far she is driving it and with how in control of those scenes she is. I personally did not experience any eroticism from this. I was horrified throughout, but I, I, I was impressed by the degree that it, that it horrified me, that it was able to. Um, and that was the same thing that I kind of noted for where my where my tension reaction, where my horror reaction was coming from, was that um, emotional torture basis of it. That there's so much focus on that, like emotional distress and humiliation. Um, you really kind of sit there going, like, oh, what are they gonna think of next? Um, Is there anywhere in the film where it, it pushed you to that point of like your worst fears being realized or does it not does it not get there yet um i don't think so um i would say not even with like the the child murder necrophilia no see stuff? that that takes it that by that point it's comedy 
once you get there, that's so far extreme. Like once they get to the dead baby and the and the and the child uh, child necrophilia, at that point it's like okay, this is silly. And, and the 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 dead baby and the dead kid both look really fake. So I'm like, I'm like okay, I can I, I'm this is clown show stuff at this point. <laughs> um, Which is interesting um, because because the scene in the bathroom yeah. at the end of Mortem is, is one of those things like I talked on the first episode yeah. about reading IMDb message boards. Yeah. Um, I remember reading yeah. the description of that scene and building up in my head as this has got to be the most oh my fucked God. Yeah. up thing in cinema. Like I couldn't even comprehend what that would look like. Conceptually, it, 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 it it's up there for sure. Yeah. And you know what's really funny about the Mortem films is, is um, so... Um, I, I don't know how many people know this, but, but August Underground's Mortem is actually, like, banned in Canada because of that shit, right? Um, so, like, um, it, it, you can't actually ship it into Canada. It'll get seized oh, by wow. customs. So, um, one of my buddies in Calgary used to drive down to get <laughs> DVDs from Fred and would come up and and smuggle oh, them wow. up back to Calgary. And that was how I was able to get a hold of these fucking movies back in, like... 2010 or whatever um yeah it's like you know that's the that's the real quest for these now you can just go download on like the fucking archive.org or whatever but like back then like you don't have no idea how much it took to get a hold of some of this shit like god yeah when i was was younger hitting the hitting the gray market chinatown shops for uh burned dvds all the time like that was definitely yeah constant no the the part that i think probably i found the scariest was uh in the in the castration scene prior to the castration when they reveal that the husband is there when they open when they open the second coffin and like the mask that he's wearing is so fucked up and destroyed that like you can't tell what's already been done to this person and it's in this state of like just barely personhood at this point where you know whatever's happened to him already is just so debilitating that there's it's just an empty shell and that moment was really the the thing that got the closest to like oh worst fears being it's, realized it's interesting you um, say that because because i feel like in terms of the like structure of the film yeah and and the way that it progresses as you said episodically yeah um where it kind of like you have a break with them and then you get yeah. another murder and then you get another break and then another murder as you kind of get some of their yeah. internal lives and relationship um is that those early kills yeah the 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 victims are wearing masks and stuff like that or when they're like just out like threatening like retail workers the video star clerk clerk, which is awesome um that i think is like sort of trying to build you up where like you start off where the victims are like totally dehumanized like you don't get their faces they don't say anything they're just just screams or whatever and then by the time you're at the ending everyone's just like corpses that they're with and in the middle you're kind of like building up through like 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 there's like a bit of an arc right like you start very dehumanized and very dehumanized and in the middle you kind of get this like nice like rise of like the victims having more of a personal nature like the lesbian couple is probably like the most interesting um kill in the movie because the the couple we see their faces the whole time and 
throughout the scene they're trying to like grab for each other like they're trying yeah. to comfort each other and that's why that's so effective and yeah. it's really well done for me i think it is that it is that total dehumanization that's kind of what 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 takes it to being frightening in in that early scene for me is like or maybe the juxtaposition between the the killers are saying these people's backstory to us effectively saying like you know listen to your wife getting raped and then we're just seeing these bodies who have just been completely stripped of agency, completely stripped of context. Where, where like, what they're trying and, to, like, wake them up, making sure they're not dead already, yeah, right? Like, yeah. Uh, and, and it is that, that tension between, like, this is a, this is a thing now. This was a person once. Uh, that, that tension, that kind of, like, memento mori like reminder that you are meat at the end of the day is always that kind of existential horror really is generally the kind of thing that gets me the worst yeah um well one of the most interesting things is that for a movie that's that's uh, so renowned for its like gore and effects work and stuff yeah. a lot of the the most interesting kills are the asphyxiations yeah um where, where there's the one the blonde lesbian girl has the bag over her head and then gets hit in the face with the hammer and then there's also the scene um, where at the end, the fourth killer, I think, is killing the, the woman in the barn or, like, the oh, shed or whatever. Yeah. And she, like, pukes on the gag oh, and jokes. Yeah. Like, it's kind of interesting because, like, I think that those are much more relatable. Like, I, th I think that, that one of the things that's so smart about a movie like this, having a fucked up and disturbing reputation, is you make the violent stuff that is relatable. Like, yeah. like seeing Christy doing, like, the smaller cuts on herself. Oh, God, that's, yeah. Like, relatable violence can't stand the, it. the the choking the asphyxiation that stuff is like relatable violence yeah. it, it's what they always say about how it's like oh like it's far more disturbing to show like someone's fingernail getting pulled off Oof. in a movie yeah. than it is to like show a bunch of like gunshots or stabs right yeah. because everyone can relate to the pain of like stubbing your toe or breaking a nail or whatever so that has a more visceral reaction yeah as you said earlier, get this sort of section in the middle where we we slow down, where we sort of pause with the characters, and they go to like a local metal show, uh, and and it becomes this sort of scene reportage thing for a minute, where they just like it's them hanging out with their friends in like a cool DIY venue that has like immaculate 2002 vibes and they're um, moshing too. and they're moshing they're the and, there's lots of people um, in like different outfits that are like very of the 2003 scene you yeah. know it, it's really cool to see some ground level footage of that era and it sort of invites a question like what is the connection between this scene and the rest of the movie like what is the connection between this subculture and we're going to be forced to watch 45 minutes of fake child rape exactly and, and you know <laughs> it's interesting you say because because that um, carries forward from the first august underground has has mm. big scenes of them yeah going out to metal shows and getting too drunk and and screaming and whatever and to me one of the things that that at the time when I, when I wrote about these movies, when I was younger, I, I always said that it's to show that these are also kind of normal people. Mm. Like it's, it's to make, it's to add depth to yeah. the serial killer characters where it's like, oh, they also go out to do things that you might do. Yeah. And you don't know if you're like rubbing <laughs> shoulders with someone who's actually a depraved murderer. Yeah. And like, um, but I think that you're hitting the nail on the head very interestingly 
about how it's tapping into this behavior that they're yeah. participating in isn't so far off from the idea of like what draws you into like a metal subculture yeah. or like any other kind of subcultural community, right? Yeah, and I think there's something very distinct about the way that counterculture worked in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, which is, and I hate to always be just bringing the show back to the same theme over and over again, but this idea of history is over, um, there's no justifiable substitute for capitalism. There's nothing that we can change. Um, and now we are just going to be shocking for shocking sake for our own self-indulgence towards no greater purpose, towards no value. It is counterculture, which is just counterculture without any kind of goal. Um, it, it's, it's transgression without creation. You you use the term apolitical left to refer to sort of the the historical underground, um, and and when we were talking about it earlier, you said sort of this is kind of in that middle period where uh, it hasn't fully shifted over to the reactionary mode yet, but you're sort of in this apolitical right where it's nine eleven like post nine eleven you're in this very sort of chauvinistic American I, moment. I am gonna only walk yeah. it back slightly yeah, yeah. because like remember we're also like post nine eleven with yeah. this. Like like immediately post nine eleven. And like I, I, I was just getting Okay, there. perfect. Cause cause what yeah. I was gonna actually say is I don't think it's fair to put left or right connotations on a movie from this period. Hmm. Because because I think that they are purely apolitical because what they're doing is <clears throat> reflecting back the horror of the everyday. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, we could talk about the horrors of imperialism being, like, inherently right-wing. Mm. But, like, the the images of something like August Underground are obviously born out of, like, Abu Ghraib and, like... Yeah. Um, like, like, torture porn became... I don't know six... if Abu Ghraib had been I don't think unearthed I don't think it would have been unearthed in, no. in 03. But, um, so no, not that, but at least the war footage and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, point being that in the early 2000s, the reason why torture porn takes off yeah. is specifically because of the political moment um, attributed to, like, 9-11 and the Iraq yeah. War. So, um... I think there is something really interesting we said about how the entire underground film scene is born out of this end of history. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, all underground film takes place in the post-apocalypse. Yeah. It's this idea of the apocalypse already happened a very long time ago yeah. in terms of our modern culture. So we are embracing it through some degree of, of like nihilism, I yeah. guess. And, and what is most interesting is you know, events like Columbine, 9-11, like these big cultural touch points that kind of like really brought violence home to like the West. Yeah. Um, in, in, in the late 90s to early 2000s. Um, what, what you're getting here is a movie like Freeway 2 is yeah. like very hopeful in where it's ending. Like yeah. I would say that we went from last episode is two movies that are kind of have like a more hopeful idea, at least like, like Freeway 2 does. Yeah. Avalon's film is only is only hopeful insofar as it provided me with hope for that these movies could be like really interesting again. Um, but then today's episode is is really nihilistic. Yeah. Like purely nihilistic. Yeah. And I think you could say that both films we covered today, covering the period from 2003 to 2013, are both in that apolitical zone. Hmm. And and I think that 
we get we see the change shifting after that. Yeah, uh, and I don't mean to to accuse the movie itself of being right wing. I do think the movie is like pretty apolitical as far as what its goals are. I think it just wants to upset you. Um, I think it is saying something inadvertently, though, about the politics of its moment, uh, which is that within those countercultural groups with, around this time, there is such an ingratiated sense of the end of history and such an ingratiated sense of nihilism that it becomes aimless. And, and the characters in the film are aimless. They are just trying to one-up for the sake of one-upping. They have no... Uh, ultimate goal as you say they're as cruel to themselves as they are to each other um it it, it is sense i think uh, there's a whole meme around like all the like 1999 core movies about like you know a, a american beauty and fight club and like oh the biggest problem people had in 1999 was their comfortable middle-class job was making them feel existential on we i think this is speaking to that period after 9-11 where that thing is still in the air but it's starting to curdle and it's starting to turn into like just pure empty hedonistic entertainment for entertainment's sake as the characters are performing uh, again i i i don't think any of this is uh, in t I don't know how much of this is intended by the text of the movie, but uh, I, that was what that was what I was pulling from. It was like this is such a fascinating historical document of the the spiritual emptiness of that moment, and I think it's maybe part of why it affected me on such a level. Yeah, and yeah, and, and I want to walk back what I said actually because I think that it actually was perhaps too reductive to speak about this as exclusively a post 9-11 movie. Yeah. Um, because maybe like culturally you're, you're feeling that malaise. But yeah. um, like, you know, as you mentioned, Abu Ghraib wasn't until like 2004. So those yeah. aren't the images inspiring it. Whereas, you know, it's a fake snuff movie. So yeah. I mean, like the stuff that's probably inspiring it are the legends of like Leonard Lake and Charles Zing's snuff movies and stuff like that. Like mm. stuff that did exist yeah. and was coming out of like, those legends that were at the time being shared on early internet mm. and being discussed between like tape traders and stuff like that. So I, I guess that when we, we talk about um, a movie that is doing the fake snuff thing, yeah. um, it, it is just in that fake snuff tradition that like something like Guinea Pig 2 is, which yeah. is we, we always will have these ideas of why do we want to see stuff that is this like the sickest, most depraved thing a person can do to another human being? Yeah. And movies like August Underground's Mortem fill it in this safe way that maybe you're not experiencing while watching like uh, three guys, one screwdriver or whatever, yeah. right? Like, because cause by this point, you're seeing <laughs> like actual snuff on the internet. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. um, I, I, in a way, because of the formalism of something like August Underground, it's almost harder to watch than a real snuff tape. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, and this is, uh, I know this is generationally singular, um, and maybe this uh, this just again speaks to our, our, our dynamic as co-hosts, but always managed to stay clear of the gore. Always, even when I was on 4chan, even when I was like in the midst of all that stuff, I knew the code words that people would say to suggest that it was coming, and I, I would steer clear. 
Oh, God. I never had that. I, I never had that moment I, of wanting to do you it. You never had like the the boy over who was like, I got to show you like Ogrish or like Live Leak or like like Best Gore or anything because I definitely had a lot if of I those. If I did, sorts... I shut him down. Okay, I always had a lot of those sorts of uh, boyfriends growing <laughs> up, uh, and uh, as I've always said, I'm a bit of a pick me girl. So um, <laughs> if if a boy was showing me something, goddamn, I was gonna watch it. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, and 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 then that obviously warped into my my like junior high teenage years where I would be pulling out Guinea Pig Two or August Underground yeah. at a party and being like, "Okay, guys, this is what we're <laughs> watching." Um, so I mean, like, I I think that there's a lot of complicated things that that are informing like the nuances of why a movie like this is. Yeah. A has the reputation it does, but B is like kind of existing in that cultural moment. Yeah. Um, and. It, it, it's kind of exciting because there's a lot of like parallel things running, whether that's the internet, um, Iraq war culture, like all these yeah. different things that are informing it. And thankfully, because it's like 2003, I yeah. think that the movie has this sort of like, like not to, to hammer home like the apolitical bent, but it, it's, it's just exists as pure nihilism. Yeah. Like you're watching um, these killers who aren't even like, uh, gone is like the guinea pig too, like, I am doing this as this amazing artistic expression uh, yeah, of gone violence. Yeah, gone is the astute killer. Yes. Yeah. Um, now it's just like it's a th- three killer. fucking like trailer trash wackos in the Midwest just like killing people. We don't even see them abducting anyone. Yeah. We just like, all we get is the torture. Yeah. And it's, it's purely nihilistic because we know that at the end of the day, no one's going to escape. We don't get any degree of detail about who any of the victims are. It's just... We, we we just get to watch these three lunatics um, hit people with a hammer. And yeah. um, that's the movie. And it's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I mean, again, I feel the need to, to push back on even pure nihilism being able to be um, apolitical. That nihilism that isn't cognizant of its relationship to the status quo winds up reproducing the status quo. And so you, you know, you, you see that in the selection of the victims in the movie, that it is junkies, it is lesbian couples, it is, you know, they're... But, that's um, also, but, but here's the thing, that's also just a family. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it, like, and I think that's one of the interesting details is it's, yeah. it's across the whole spectrum. Yeah. And it's almost like they're getting bolder in their choices where they're starting with like, here's some junkies no one's going to miss. Yeah. Here's this lesbian couple. And then by yeah. the end, it's like, we're killing a like a husband wife and daughter like in a suburb in a suburb like it's and that's true and i I think that that's kind of the interesting thing about it is is they start with where they think they can get away with it then they get more brazen and and that's not even like a part of the text really like like it's there but because the episodic nature of the movie it's not like they're like oh boy who are we gonna pick next no we just see the victims each time but that's the fun part of analysis is reading in all sorts of stuff that they never wanted us to 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 see um the uh and and that's what's so interesting about talking about it as a political statement is because there it is no political statement it is it, it, it it's simply just a thing that people made with the cultural assumptions of america in 2003 which is just far enough out now to be like interesting from this sociologically detached sort of 
I also think one of the interesting things is the the killer's fascinations with gender and sexuality. Yes. Um, yes. Because both of the movies we have have I believe both have a guy with bows in his hair being made fun of for for, yeah. for being effeminate. Yeah. And then like you have like at the opening like Fred Vogel's trying to like take the guy's clothes off because he doesn't want to yeah. have to cut through the the khakis and then <laughs> she's like what are you some kind of faggot who needs to see his dick and it's like that like there's just these interesting things he's like take it back bitch like yeah. I don't like I'm not a faggot um but then like there is so much like homoeroticism yeah. in what's going on where it's and then also like there's tons of lesbianism yeah. like like crusty is like constantly making out with all these girls yeah. victims but i mean like it's like desexualized yeah. because it's, it's a way of humiliating them right yeah. but like there there are interesting questions at play about sexuality and gender where it's almost the explosion of this violence comes from like the repression of such things yeah. like looking at like a traditional american horror film it's like always your monster has to be something that's like socially repressed yeah. right so like we could talk about it in terms of like class like yeah. we can talk about it, it's like okay here's these like white trash yeah <laughs> like people living in like absolute slum conditions yeah. who this is their outlet of like yeah. rebelling or like you know finding some sort of power or control or you can read into it with like all this like homoerotic subtext that that that's at play as well right so i mean uh there's certainly like angles there but the movie doesn't give you enough detail to really yeah. like run too far with anything it's just in it and like since it's so episodic like we don't really get anything outside of it other than knowing that they like to go to like metal shows. I had in my notes that the the castration in this is so funny because it's literally just like the most on the nose metaphor for like the the gender dynamics of a home invasion movie. It's doing the same thing as like the scene in the Clockwork Orange with the penis sculpture, like where you are you are you are rending the phallus from the man by taking his wife in front of him. Like it, it's so on the nose with that that it's just like, okay, let's get this out of the way early. Here's your You're hundred percent right. Yeah. And and like it, it's really interesting because it, it's also a self castration. Yeah. Which like like you know you make the clockwork orange and the the great thing about the castration is that it's like the self mutilation as yeah. well right which I think like adds a level to to which like I mean it's depraved because they're telling him to do it and they're yes. kind of like forcing him but at the same time it's like also insane that he does it yeah. like that's the thing that's craziest to watch is that like. And, and they're even like, I can't believe he did it. Yeah. And, and like, as the audience, you're like, yeah, I can't believe he did it either. Well, and it's, it, it's again, playing on that idea of humanization and dehumanization, where they play on his appeal to self-sacrifice to say, oh, we'll let her go. We won't kill her if you don't. And they know that they're lying and he probably knows that they're lying, but there is that glimmer of hope for a moment that pushes him just far enough to do it and then they close the coffin back on him. It's weirdly beautiful that, there, that there's this one moment of somebody, and same with the lesbians sort of holding on to each other, like it's, there, there are these weirdly very human moments from the victims that just makes it so hard to watch. And, and it's brilliant for that. Like, it's, it, it really hurts. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, the, the, I, I, just to kind of, like, wrap up what you're saying, yeah. um, the, the categorization of a movie like August Underground's Mortem yeah. or Guinea Pig 2 or the Vomit Gore trilogy yeah. is that of the sick film. It's yeah. this idea of, here is a movie... 
that is built around the idea of we dare you to watch it. Yeah. And the sort of like meta cinematic thing that or like the meta textual thing happening in the movie yeah. is whether or not you as an audience member can stomach and last through the whole thing. Yeah. It's more of a rite of passage than it is a movie itself. Mm. And um, like I, this podcast, like this podcast, that, that's the whole idea of the podcast. Yeah. I'm putting you through, uh, this is your underground coming of age. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really interesting um, because like, since we're providing such a critical lens to this movie, I think that yeah. everything we talk about will be elevated far above that sort of like sick film. Like this is just depravity for depravity's sake yeah. um, angle. But at the same I'm time, <laughs> on the base level, um, these movies like the August Underground films in particular are a bunch of effects artists saying, let's see how fucked up we can make this. Yeah. And like, let's get all of our fucked up friends. Like, I think it's so funny that like all the girls in this are just all girls. Yeah. And, like, it's just like, Makes perfect sense. Like, this is, that's who's in it. I'd be in it. I'd yeah. totally sign up for this. Um, I've done a few of these types of movies. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, uh, my old mentor, Ryan Nicholson, helped provide props to uh, yeah. August Underground's Mortem. And it's just really funny because it's like, yep, my movies had the same effects artists yeah. who helped out on Mortem. This... There's a linearity to, to how I got to where I am, obviously. Yeah. Um, that it was born in all these little underground movies that I love. And yeah. uh, I know Sid's opened for one of like Fred and Shelby's movies at a film festival Aww. back in the day. So I'm, you know, I'm ingrained in the scene, always have been. Yeah. And it's so nice that I can throw on Mortem from my friends and uh, we get to, to watch it. And you got to squirm. But then at the end, I said, what do you think? You said that was amazing. Yeah, no, I, I had a I had a great time squirming. I am... Uh, like I was a, uh, you know, I, I was never not necessarily into the the sick shit, but I'm I'm a horror person through and through, and it takes a lot to scare me these days, and it did it, it did it, and and I applaud it, and it made uh, uh, I, I just talked for like forty minutes trying to figure out why it scared me, so I'm really happy about that. And if you had to like um, boil it down to like one reason, what's what's the reason it scared you? Um, the face of nihilism, I guess, and how stupid and silly it is. Wonderful. Yeah. Stupid and silly nihilism. Yeah, you know what? On the subject of stupid and silly nihilism, yeah. I would love to talk about our second to feature of the go night. Go into which our second film is Michael Belandic's 2013 masterwork, Hellaware. Yes. And I was so excited to pair these two movies. And at first you were like, I don't get it. Why are we pairing these? And then yeah. all of a sudden it really clicked, I think. Yes. Yeah, I was sort of worried at the start of the film uh, with, with the opening scene, which is this, um, the main character is this photographer, Nate, is at, at this art show. And it's all this very pretentious modern art. And the person is has the little pigtails in as you say and is all is is all doing gender and talking about bodies and spaces and i was like oh no and also trying Art to appropriate and that also, lords of chaos style fucking yeah. norwegian death metal culture yeah. right yeah another one for the bingo card uh black metal uh, but art world satire a lot of the time is just so fucking exhausting because it is like it, a lot of the time it feels like people coming from within that world who their grifts didn't work. So they look at other people's grifts and they go, ah, that's a grift. Um, which sort of misses the point of 
art, which is that it's like a big, beautiful fake illusion that's just about kind of the audience's ability to buy in. And it's driven by money. <laughs> yeah, and that it's all money laundering scheme at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but no, the movie flips really quickly around from that um, into just the main character just being such a piece of shit. Just such a glorious piece of shit. And this like search for authenticity as opposed to the pretension of that initial scene, um, which is just, uh, I, I love the degree to which the movie um, sees that quest for authenticity as just inherently disingenuous, inherently self-serving. Um, uh, the the quote from the, the female lead who's Name I can't remember. Sophia Tikal, who plays so, Bernadette. Okay. Bernadette um, uh, says, uh, I, I will go with you as long as you stop talking about immersing yourself in someone's culture. Um, Mwah. Beautiful. Mwah. Like, because the thing about Hellaware is, it's all building up to one very obvious punchline, <laughs> but it is executed marvelously marvel yeah. to the point where the, the punchline hits entirely. It's yeah. like you're expecting it the whole movie, and it's still hilarious because yeah. it it gets the art scene. Like, Belandic's coming from that culture. I think yeah. that the lead character is absolutely just like self-insert <laughs> of him making fun of himself doing yeah. this sort of movie. And... Like, I think one of the funniest things is that, like, it, the, the the cultural fascination of Hellaware um, yeah. that he decides to go and pursue is juggalo culture. And yes. I just think that's awesome. Like, they never utter the juggalo, like, word. No. They don't say it. You're not seeing, like, hatchet man medallions no, whoop, or anything whoops. like that. Yes, yeah. exactly. I think somebody actually maybe does go whoop whoop, like, on an ad lib in the song, in the I'll Cut Your Dick Off song. Um but um, it's uh, subtle, though. It's very and, subtle. And what's interesting about it is, like, I think that this would have been, like, post when ICP became a meme, right? Is this, like, post-Miracles, post-Juggalo, been... yes, like, miracles... uh, like miracles Gathering is... video that went viral? Miracles is 2011, and then the Vice coverage of the Gathering of the Juggalos would have been starting right, like, 2012, 2013. Which... Okay, here's a good question for yeah. you, Aoife. Yeah. You also grew up in Alberta. Like, yes. You you knew people who were super into ICP when you were growing up, right? Like, or was like that a, a generational gap between us? No, there were a couple. There were okay. a few. There because were, like... It was very... It, it, there was only a couple. Um, and it was, like, when I was in, like, junior high-ish. But, like, I definitely knew some. Um, some of my first experiences smoking were with them. Yeah, because like <laughs> yeah. it's it's interesting because like I didn't never knew ICP as a joke first. I think a yeah. lot of people's first exposure to it was as a joke was with, literally like, through miracles. SNL yeah. fucking making fun of it and stuff. But like, oh no, I had tilt a whirl on my little iPod. Touch. Yeah, I mean Somebody, like it was a shit. banger. And, and yeah. you know what? Up, up until this day, I mean, when I was shooting yeah. a music video for Ambition, I was yeah. in my full on juggalo face paint oh, driving yeah. around Medicine Hat, Alberta, blast and great malenko so Fuck there yeah. you go yeah um but like it, it's no. interesting like, i was we never i was never in that subculture but like mm. i mean like fucking some that music slaps and shit yeah. but, but but it's just so funny that the movie's like taking this like ethnographic lens to like midwest burnout teenagers who are trying to like do icp knockoff like horrorcore rap or whatever <laughs> no well because that would have been yeah the exact same time as that kind of vice coverage um and, and it would have been the same time as this sort of general shift in the media criticism landscape as well 
where I feel like critics sort of start to base their judgments of things on the assumed judgments of other critics around them. This very intentional effort to like avoid consensus and to avoid elitism, especially, um, which results in like them sort of creating this toxic association with their own work saying like, oh, like, I don't want to poison the purity of the thing by praising it. So I'm just going to like, just support the things that are already popular. And oh, incidentally, that's also what gets us clicks, by the way, but that's not important. Um, and, and this whole sort of like, um, uh, you know, uh, on the one end, kind of like poptimism, and then on the other end, like outsider art movements that are all about saying like, oh, yeah, the stuff that I'm supposed to like as the cultural gatekeeper is actually bad now because cultural gatekeepers are bad, but I'm still a cultural gatekeeper. So, question mark? The, the movie is really about, like, white boy malaise. It is, yes, Like, absolutely. It's, it's like, one, where do I 100%. go now? And, like, one of the funniest gags to me in the movie is yeah. the fact that, like, you have, um, like, the types of photos he's taking yeah. of, like, you know, young people doing drugs, like remind yeah. me of like Nan Golden or Larry Clark's photography. And it's or like in Terry Richardson. This is like the peak Terry Richardson era. But but like the, the thing about like those other photographers yeah. is like they were also really fucked up and kind yeah, of interesting what true. they were doing. Like they were you know, like the... some of them were heroin addicts and yeah. stuff too, right? So like um and, and like honestly inspirational in the way that they immersed in those scenes yeah. and like took it seriously and there was no cynicism yeah. um, with what they were doing. But right? the time you get to Terry, it's all cynicism. Yes, and that's what I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. right? So, like, like I think that that's, like, kind of the gag with, with, with the movie is, like, he's talking about how it's like, oh, I don't want to get immersed in the world. Like, I want to keep, like, a, a yeah. separation between me and the... The torture clown killers or whatever. Uh, or a young torture Young killers, torture killers. Um, and, like... Be- because of that it, it he's such a phony like he's yeah. such a little puke he's such an unlikable character yeah because he, he doesn't commit to anything he's so apathetic yeah and, and in doing so like has a direct negative impact on things and winds up staging the story that he's trying to document authentically um, yeah because he's like bringing the kids drugs and getting them fucked up so he can take photos like when he yeah. shows up all the kids are like oh it's like a, I, i've got work in the morning i can't get high then yeah. he's like pushing them to like go get more and crazier more. yeah it, it is sort of a story about this this struggle between classes for cultural capital i, I was gonna where... say this is this is literally like an imperialistic but it, it uh story but it's like the cultural capital is the resource extraction. Yes, um, yeah. Where, where, like, you made the comparison um, to, like, Cannibal Holocaust yeah. being, like, this movie about, like, you know, these these photog- like ethnographers who go in and then, like, stage to get, like, their crazy Mondo film. Yeah. This is, like, very similar to that, but instead of it being, like, like instead of, like, the racist sort of, like, angle, it's more of, like, a classist angle. Um, and yeah. I think that that's, like truly brilliant you know it's this thing where like the upper classes have everything except for cultural capital guaranteed there's always this cultural capital to being of the lower classes this danger this this, like sexy thing to upper class people who have this romanticized idea of what what the struggle is like And, and there's this constant effort to like 
you know, LARP is broke and like, you know, try to try to drain that of everything that it can. And, and that's very much just kind of what they're playing off. Well, and, and the greatest part is that like Nate's character, like he sees their the, the kids music video. Yeah. And he thinks the music is terrible, but yeah. he's interested because he's like, oh, these would be good subjects. Like yes. he's never engaging with them as like people. It's always as some it's, it's like purely exploitation on his part see did i did i miss something at the beginning because i thought i thought at the start he liked the song and then i thought over the course of the movie as people asked him about it he got more and more negative about the actual here's the thing i think the way it progresses is he only finds enjoyment in it because it's different from the establishment he's a part of. Yes. It's unpretentious yeah. and it's authentic and that's what he's connecting to. That's exactly But right. yeah. ironically, he is bringing it more credibility by bringing it closer yeah. and closer into the art world and that causes him to dislike it because now he is homogenizing it into the thing which he hates and is trying to run away from. Exactly. Um, but but he's not trying to run away from it particularly because he's still trying to succeed in that world. Yeah. But it's like, it, it's exactly what I said. It's like that white boy malaise where it's like... the. He's he fails upwards without really trying that hard. Yeah, it's like it's it, it, it there's kind of a pathetic nature to it, right? Yeah, it, um, it, it's something that uh, I, I'm gonna coin coin a micro genre here and say uh, it's very girls core, uh, which is like dissociating from one's own privilege to try to like satirize and cringe at one's own privilege from like how you imagine you're being seen from outside um, in the style of our Lord and Savior, Lena Dunham. Defend, protect. Um, it's sort of a hypothetically progressive position in its attempt to like punch up, but winds up kind of in like a fatalistic depressive mode where it's kind of, it's back to accepting the inability to make any kind of change. And, and that's but, a fatalistic but, aspect for sure because because he's he's trying to do it differently yeah. and ends up in the same exact position where he was yeah. inevitably going to go, which is like even though things go off the rails, the the young um, musicians show up, try to trash his art show. That only makes the art more interesting, and it's like I don't care. Like the the art curator is like I don't even care if it was staged or not. We sold every piece, and yeah. all of a sudden he's like lights up and he's like, oh my god, <laughs> and that's the great punchline at the end, right? Yeah. Is it's like no matter what happens, like, he's still gonna, he, like, he has the connections to get the show in the first place. Like, yeah. he's he's not struggling. He's yeah. just struggling to find a subject, right? Like, yeah. he's trying to, he's trying on this quest in this, like, post-apocalyptic sort of, like, cultural scene that he finds himself, uh, trying to find that authentic thing. But the thing is, is he's so poisoned by the world in which he exists, he can never properly engage with it. It's immensely unlikable, both as a character and also like from a detached perspective as like a perspective for a work to have to be like, oh, it makes me so sad and so scared that like I can't do anything about any of this, but I want to because I have the resources to be able to hypothetically but my cultural position just renders it such that there's nothing that I can do. This was the thing I always enjoyed about uh, about girls was that it it is funny. It, it 
it's funny to laugh at people who are like this, but hearing it from the perspective of someone who is just makes it so heartbreaking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, There's a self-hatred to it. And I think yeah. that is like the best part of the punchline of yeah. Hellaware is you have him making fun of this like skateboarder turned yeah. like Lords of Chaos artist. Yeah. And at the end, the, the punchline is, oh, which piece of art sold the best? And it's like, oh, the one that says Nate is a homo, where yeah. the, the kid had spray painted that over the work where you can't even see the photo under yeah. it anymore. It just says Nate is a homo. And it's like, yeah, yeah his be best piece is the thing that he doesn't, like, he didn't do, yeah. right? Like, it's, it, it's a great joke. Yeah. And, I mean, that brings the kind of connection between both of these is it it is nihilism from the low end and nihilism from the high end you're either uh you know distracting yourself to survive or 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 your survival is already taken care of but you're trying to make something noble out of it and you simply cannot because your survival is taken care of it's it's all and, and at the end of the day it's all kind of like looking for meaning in this like you know this hellscape we find ourselves in. it's like you and I were having a conversation about this earlier because it's my birthday, so yeah. the existentialism comes out. And passage of time. Um, we 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 were kind of talking about this idea of like why, like why you do what you do, like what why are we driven to try to like make meaning in our lives all the time? Like we're not satisfied by by anything. Like like we have to always be striving for that like next thing and why I guess. is why is there a certain type of person who just seems built in with like an insatiable hunger because it seems like there are people who aren't like that yeah sometimes. exactly like I, i'm sure there it, there I, I see a lot of people who do not look like me and look as depressed behind the eyes as i always look yeah so i mean like or maybe we're just being selfish and that's just samsara. <laughs> Potentially. It's the inherent nature of existence. But but what I mean to say in, in relation to our movies is is that we, we were talking about like that creation of meaning and like yeah. like like always striving for that. And both of these movies kind of have some degree to which it's like trying to put action to like like put, putting forward action in order to run away or escape from that like um that entropy. Yeah, you know, of of just like spiraling downwards into into nothing, and like the the August Underground film is like the most extreme version of it, where yeah. it's like sensory overload, yeah. erotic overload, violence overload, like the whole thing is just an onslaught of like rape, torture, murder, and it's like um, that's like the most like macro version of that, and then like Hellower is really funny because it's like such a micro version because you've got this guy like putting in like the least effort yeah. possible in order to try to like cure his like um like this like sort of white boy malaise right yeah so it, it, it is quite funny um polar extremes but exploring the same central sort of no and i mean uh, all of the problems would be solved if everyone just learned our secret to um finding meaning in life which is starting a podcast oh i was i thought you were gonna say transition oh yeah i mean cause... that too but starting a podcast more importantly oh yeah no uh, talking I, about I... yourself for long periods of time on the internet yeah and, and putting your foot in your mouth and uh doing you know, doing a public humiliation king. Oh, exactly. I mean, like, um, like that was the whole thing about transition for me was just yeah. to satisfy my humiliation king. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not trans. I'm just, yeah. 
doing this as a bit. No, um, sorry. I'm, you, I'm Peter back. Sorry, no, you're trans. I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll see about I that. Apologize. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, do you have any concluding thoughts? I think that these are both very fun movies. Um, Hellware is obviously like not a super extreme film to cover. I just thought it was like a really fun pairing and definitely fits yeah. in to the scene of like what we're covering because and- like Blandick's work obviously plays with like a lot of these other filmmakers. Like we see like Caitlin Shield pulling up yeah. in it, this and Sophie Calls there and Harry Neff makes a little brief cameo and stuff. Yeah. Like so like there's there's definitely like that New York scene stuff that I'm yeah. like so fascinated with and like that film scene. Um, and it pulls it back to the contemporary, which we're always trying to make those well, this connections. Was, that, I mean, and, like, that's the interesting thing is, like, you cut forward 10 years and, like, fascinating how um, the film industry is so, like, tied into, like, these sorts of movements where, like, I can trace my lineage back to August Underground and we can trace, like, a lot of the modern, like, New York film scene and, like, by that extension, the modern underground film scene um back to like the stuff like Blandick was doing 10 years ago so I mean like it's interesting at the end of the day I just wanted to show you Mortem on my birthday and uh, we got to have some fun watching one of my favorite fucked up movies yeah it was a sweet night we got to eat some pizza I hope it was a good birthday it's always a good birthday babe 